Welcome to the Brothers in Who podcast. Uh, we're going to start off by doing something a little different. We're going to do a preview of the upcoming New Year's special, Revolution of the Daleks. If you're the kind of person that doesn't want any spoilers, doesn't like watching trailers, doesn't want to know anything about the upcoming special or the season beyond that, I'm going to timestamp where we're actually going to start our Vicky episode of this that we recorded a few weeks ago. Final warning, spoiler time. Alex, yo, did you watch the trailer for Revolution of the Daleks? I did, and it looks and what'd awesome. you think? Look at that, it sure looks, does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything in particular you want to chat about before I go down my list? Um, I like maybe what it is, what, what I kind of headcanon think it is, just based off of the trailer, which is, um, you know, we talked about. How do you make how do you make the doctor um, have to struggle? You take away the TARDIS, you take away the Sonic, right? But this is how do you make the companion struggle? You take away the doctor, <laughs> and it yeah. it looks it looks awesome. And uh, here's what we do know: it's going to be seventy minutes. Um, Captain Jack is in it, the worst kept secret in all of <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> well, it was at the end of last season. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, he was he was in episode four. Oh, that was episode four when um, he showed up. Oh, wow. Yep. But they they shot this thing like a publicity thing where uh, Jody and Mandip were doing like a quiz, and they were shooting it on set of the Christmas special or the the New Year's special, and part of it they cut from the main camera to like somebody holding like a phone off to the side and John Barrowman's just standing there in his full Captain Jack outfit. <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> um, okay. Some other things to point out. Uh, it feels, so let's just kind of talk about what the plot seems like it's going to be. It's kind of like victory of the Daleks where we have a government kind of commissioning Daleks for, security or for military purposes mm -hmm. we have a new design of the Daleks. what do you think of the way they look um i like it it's a little different but it, it kind of has a little bit of that sci-fi cheese to it um but yeah it i like the different colors like i guess we saw just like what blue and red but it looked cool yeah. i liked it but i think they're temporary like i think this story is a direct sequel to the first new year's special um resolution mm. so i think the government has found that dalek and has kind of based the design of these on that but then you know it's got like the neon light piping and stuff like that right I also heard that because of this new design and they're purposely designed in a way to make it so that they don't look like there's a person inside operating them, there actually isn't people inside operating them. They're remote control. Really? So they're actual drones. That's crazy. Yeah. They're they're creating Daleks. Okay. And then uh, we got Mr. Big back, Chris Noth, who was in Arachnids in the UK. 
So that makes sense in the trailer when he turns around, he's like, not you guys again. Cause then he, like he recognized him cause I mean, it was probably right. his worst day ever. <laughs> we see Yaz in the other TARDIS, not the doctor's TARDIS with a whole bunch of sticky notes. It seems like she's trying, maybe she's doing some kind of like Torchwood esque, you know, fighting of bad guys. Or maybe she's just trying to find the doctor. Yeah. But it seems like Ryan and Graham come to recruit her. So it feels like they've been apart. Yeah, with um with Ryan's like, are you with us? Like kind of speech. That that yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. Like they were kind of split up, maybe. Yeah. Um yeah, lots of fun Jack stuff. Um, see, I really get the feeling we're not going to get a whole lot of the Doctor in this until maybe really close to the end. Yeah, I was trying to figure out if there's going to be just random cuts of like the Doctor having like an inner monologue or maybe talking to herself. I do think it's been a long time that she's been in that jail and a long time for the fam stuck on Earth without her. Well, we saw the the slash marks on the walls, and it was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. Uh, if you want to have a good time, uh, go on the internet and find where people have paused that jail shot where she's like in some kind of giant warehouse with a whole bunch of cells in it, and she's in like the one in the middle. Yeah. And people were like, pointing out different aliens that we know and maybe some other ones that you can kind of barely see and trying to guess what those are. Mm. So do you... there's like a pating in there. There's a weeping angel in there. There's some cool stuff. So do you think um, it's going to be one of those, uh, like maybe the Jadoon came and picked up the doctor uh, because she's classified as a threat to the universe or something like that? Well, their initial warrant for her or whatever was they were trying to capture her for um god what's the name of that that like rogue uh time lord group that she was a part of oh that's right why am i how am i blanking on that it's like the directive or something fuck i oh, need well. to rewatch that season should we get into some spoilery stuff that isn't a part of this trailer yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? No idea. Do you want to know? Uh, is it... Do you think it's like the main point of the episode? No, it's it involves the cast. Oh, well, we've been speculating and that people are leaving, so I I think I'm ready for that. People are leaving. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm ready for that. Yeah, I I think it was widely speculated just because of the nature of the story that they're telling that Ryan and Graham were going to leave and the actors confirmed it in Doctor Who magazine. Mm, okay. So this is their final episode and we've seen there's some shooting going on right now. They're filming next season and we've seen like we saw some Centaurans out in a street in their like old school Centauran uniform. So that was fun. And then just this week we got a little scene of the doctor and Yaz coming out of the TARDIS, just the two of them. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, we've been speculating that with, over the last season. Yeah. Uh, there's also a picture going around of a weeping angel out in a street somewhere. Um, but I think that that's not for the show. I think it's for something peripheral like the the upcoming mobile game or something like that. Ooh, there's a Doctor Who mobile game? Yeah, there's a lot of little games coming out. But it was like a proper statue. It wasn't an actor. And it was a really small crew. And it was just like out in a street. And there's nothing else around it. Like it wasn't well lit or anything. So it makes me think it's definitely not part of the season. But Chibnall did say in an interview that he plans on this season bringing back a monster from New Who that only had one episode. Hmm. So that caused me to do some thinking. It's going to be the Lazarus. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing is I went through all the episodes to see like what it possibly could be. And there's not that many things like either everything's something that's been used again, or in the case of like the Lazarus experiment, it's a one-off creature that died in that episode. So it can't come back. Right. So let me go through this list here. I've got, it's really short. It could be the Krillitane, a Carrionite, the Bastion Arata, the Adipose. That'd be fun. The Dream Master. It could be House, although he died too. Uh, it could be the Boneless or the Skovox Blitzer or the Fisher King or whatever his species is. The Fisher King himself died. Uh, it could be the Mire. Uh, mm. It could be the Eaters of Light. I don't know what those are because I've only seen that episode once and I don't remember anything about it. Or what's most likely in my opinion, is that it could be the Shakri from The Power of Three. And my reasons for thinking that's most likely is, one, Chris Jimmel wrote that. And two, the ending was ruined through no fault of Chibnall's, and he might want to have another crack at it. What it go through? What is that premise of, the, of them? Well, do you remember The Power of Three with the cubes? I remember the cubes. The cubes that... Right. So at the very end, they go up to this ship and there's like this dude and they're like, oh, it's a shockery, super scary. But then like nothing happens. And it's because like the actor was really hard to work with and they didn't really have any usable oh. footage. So they kind of had to like kind of fabricate a shitty ending out of it. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. That would be interesting. Uh, one last thing that Jody said in Doctor Who magazine is that this special is a bit of old and new coming together that there's the Daleks, which are the doctor's oldest enemy and a new enemy returning from her first season, which she could just be referring to Chris Noth's character because he's from her first season, but he's not really like a villain or, I mean, he's a shitty dude, but so it's possible, but I don't think it's very likely we could be seeing Tim Shaw again. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think it's very likely that we will see Tim Shaw again. I just don't know if it's this episode. Yeah, no, I would <laughs> so, I would like to see Tim Shaw again. That would be cool. Yeah. I don't really give a shit if we don't ever see him again. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's just kind of a cool design, creepy, you know? Definitely. It'll, it'll be fun to see what the marriage think when we get there in a not too long of a time. Yeah, it's coming up fast. I was thinking today as we're watching the episodes, like, man, these are getting, like, recent. <laughs> there was a Trump joke <laughs> in this one. 
Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah, we just watched Pyramid at the End of the World. We're going to be recording that in about five minutes here. Um, well, it was kind of a lot to get through. I just kind of wanted to pour through all of it and see just kind of what you make of it. I, for one, am super excited for this special. Ooh, what uh, what do you think of those little spider things? It showed them twice. Those are Daleks. Oh, shit. I didn't even put that together. I was like, damn, there's like two different <laughs> aliens going on. Okay. All right. Never mind. Yeah, Chibna likes to get a Dalek out of the case. And like fighting, like scrapping. Ah, that's cool. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, we see one jump on Yaz's back, too. And maybe it was Jack's Big, back, I can't too. Remember. Oh, and Jack. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, super excited for Jack. Hopefully, you know, this turns into something where we can see him maybe more often, maybe another Torchwood season. Oh. But whatever they do, please, oh, please let his hair turn gray for the love of fucking God or get someone better to do the dye job because it's fucking terrible. <laughs> he's got to he's got to start the transformation. We got to start seeing the face. He says in the end of season three that he started getting gray hairs so that was a really long fucking time ago yeah and you can always just say like oh hey doctor i haven't seen you in 17 million years <laughs> right his hair's gray yeah 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 i think that would be fun yeah anyway that was more just kind of an info dump but uh that's what we got looks like it's the only episode we're going to get for another 10 months probably so We'll probably be talking it a lot or talking about it a lot in the next year. Boom. I'm excited. I'm going to rewatch the last season. It was so good. I'm like, not. I, I'm thinking about like different parts and how exciting it was. I might crack into the steel book, but I've got a lot of classic who shit going on. So oh, I'll yeah. Save that. Anyway, anyway, speaking of classic who, it is now time for our episode on Vicky. Cue the music. <laughs> Welcome to Brothers and Who, a Married to Who spinoff podcast in which me, Jake, and my brother Alex watch classic Doctor Who in whatever goddamn order we choose. Right now, we have chosen to do a podcast on every companion. Last time, we did an episode on the OG companion susan foreman so this time we're doing our podcast on her replacement susan number two vicky palliser the way these work in these companion episodes we're not like really gonna dig in so much into the companions we're really just using this as an excuse to watch some stories that we maybe wouldn't have watched otherwise and so the way we're going to explore the companions typically is we're going to watch their first and final story. Unless we've like already seen one of them. Like last week we had already seen both of Susan's first and final episodes. So we watched 
uh, the Sensorites instead. Um, for Vicky, her final episode, the Mythmakers, does not exist. And we don't do reconstructions here at Brothers and Who. <laughs> so we watched her first episode, The Rescue. And then, so Vicky was in nine stories. Uh, three of them don't exist, including her final one. One of them we're saving because we're going to watch it for Stephen when we do him. One of them we had already seen, The Chase. And we're definitely going to watch The Rescue, but that's only two episodes long. So out of the remaining three stories, we have The Romans, The Space Museum, and The Web Planet. Web Planet's a dumpster fire, (laughs) but it would have been interesting. (laughs) But I asked our Twitter friends to vote among those three remaining stories, which one is like the most Vicky, which which story exemplifies her character the most. And Twitter voted for the Romans, which I'm pretty sure is just because the Romans is better. But Space Museum totally is, like, the most picky. Like, she organizes a revolution among rebels. Wow. I was going to say, Romans felt more for Ian and Barbara. Yeah. I, I don't know. That was just me, but... Yeah, Romans for lovers. Well, they definitely fucked. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. So, all that is just to say, this week we're going to talk about the rescue and the Romans. The way we're going to do this is we're going to talk about those two stories, just kind of in general, our impressions... Um, just kind of what happens in them. Then afterwards, we'll talk about Vicky as a character, kind of as a whole, from what we know so far. Alex. Yo. The Rescue. The Rescue. Written by David Whitaker, directed by Christopher Barry, aired January 2nd and 9th, 1965. What'd you think? It was dark. There were, like, there was some crazy stuff in this one. Yeah. Um, but it was cool. Like, I like the mystery trying to figure out what's going on. Um, I thought it was interesting that the doctor's been to that planet before. And I was going to ask you if that was like that. He hasn't had an episode there before. <laughs> right. Okay. If he had, we would like Ian and Barbara would have been there because they're in all the stories so far. Okay. But yeah, it's kind of fun. I don't remember in any episodes before this, the doctor like referencing a past adventure that we didn't see. Like how he would, they would reference it like, Oh, remember that one time, but like not being in a place a second time. Well, I mean in classic doctor who up until this point, halfway through the second season, I don't think they had ever done that. Didn't Susan say something like they would talk about their travels. Oh yeah. She did in the sensorites. Yeah. She was like, Oh, we were at this place and I learned how to communicate telepathically with these people. That's a different place, different people. Whereas this is the same place, same people that the doctor right. knows. So that's that was, yeah, that's, it felt different, but it was cool. That is cool. And it is kind of the, like, what would happen sometimes, I guess, even though the universe is vast, when the TARDIS doesn't work and they're just randomly going yeah. to places and times. But it is kind of cool how the doctor, like, picks up a rock from a cave, goes in the TARDIS, and he's like, oh, we're on Dido. <laughs> like, yeah. Immediately. <laughs> Yeah, and then seeing the aftermath of um, Susan leaving, it almost felt like Ian and Barbara were... Oh, you mean like the TARDIS scene at the beginning? Yeah, where like he's sleeping, and they're like, he's never landed sleeping before. So then they're kind of concerned, like trying to make sure he's okay because of, you know, trauma leaving his granddaughter. 
Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, he even says Susan when he's he wants someone to open the door. Because mm-hmm. apparently that's woman's work. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and I, I do love how Barbara's like, perhaps you could teach me how to open the door. And he's like, yeah, you flip that switch that you've seen her flip when the door's open. <laughs> it's not rocket science. Don't open it when we're flying. <laughs> it's TARDIS science. <laughs> but also, like, you know, William Hartnell was always very particular about making sure... He hit the same buttons to do the same things. Yeah. Why is that the one you would pick to open the door? Like, it's a panel of four switches. It's not a button. It's a switch. And it's one of the middle ones. Yeah. (laughs) The open the door button would be off by itself because it doesn't drive the TARDIS. So in your car, the open door button isn't next to your shifter or the (laughs) gas pedal. Yeah. Yeah. It's over by the door. Yeah. It's a good point. Bad, uh, bad construction and design. Well, presumably it's bad William Hartnell because he decided what all the buttons do. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I just like thinking of it like in uh, in Time Lord concept, like that was how they de- they designed it. Like obviously you would flip this switch to open the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but in this story, we that's not even the first scene. We start. On the new companion, kind of like how class or how oh, current who works. Yeah, yeah. First scene, we meet Vicky right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who is yeah. both from the future and wearing very current nineteen sixty four clothing. Was it really nineteen sixty four clothing? I thought it was oh, kind of yeah. spacey. Like she was wearing like she yogas was, and no, she was wearing a baby doll dress. <laughs> she was like presented as like super mod sixties chick. She wasn't. Hmm. It comes back, man. Fashion's a cycle. <laughs> uh, in the DVD, Maureen O'Brien, who plays Vicky, said that they asked her to cut her hair and dye it brown or black. And she she goes, why don't you just get Carol Ann Ford back? <laughs> like, <laughs> the reason I'm here is because I'm different from her. Yeah. <laughs> and she, she actually says on the DVD, uh, when she goes, I'm going to cut my hair and dye it when I leave Doctor Who, not when I come on it. Yeah. That's that's pretty cool. And it, it is cool. She's both of these stories that we're doing today. They were her first and second stories. Um, and so they they come together in one DVD because the rest is only two episodes. And Maureen O'Brien's on both of the making of documentaries for those which is great because she doesn't really do a whole lot of interviews i couldn't find like i found one six minute clip of her to convention uh between this podcast and the last one i finally figured out how to watch um the myth makers which is like an interview documentary series that a bunch of people did in the 80s and then came back to in the early 2000s and like revisited those interviews so i got to watch the carol ann ford one after we did that Susan podcast, but Maureen O'Brien did not do one, which is kind of amazing because she's still alive and Mm. she acted a ton after Dr. Who, like nothing like super big, but a lot of like, she did an episode of every TV show in the seventies and eighties. Nice. And now she's an accomplished novelist. Like she has like eight books in this like series that all have the same character, like a detective series or something. That's cool. I'll save all the Maureen O'Brien stuff for the end. We'll get there later. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about the rescue. I 
didn't see the switch coming at the end where it being that guy. Like I thought it was weird. Yeah. Like it was probably towards the beginning of the second episode where I was like, oh, he is probably not crippled because I thought it was just bad acting, like <laughs> trying to act like not being able to walk. But he legit just walked back by himself the rest of the way. Um, and then actually like seeing that flip, but then the doctor tries to like kill him with the wrench thing. Do you see that? Well, they're in a fight. It's not like cold blooded. Well, but he tried to like, like it was sitting on the table and he's just like goes and grabs it and tries to point it at him. And then they were fighting. Ah, it was, I don't know. First doctor kills people. I know. He had a, held a rock above that one dude's head in the hundred thousand years BC. Yeah. And know, uh, it's just jarring. <laughs> he I'm fights u- that dude in the Romans. <laughs> I'm used to I'm used to post war doctor where he doesn't want to kill anyone anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's not a lot to the rescue. I mean, you know, Barbara gets separated from the boys pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Vicky finds her, hides her out, kind of protects her from Coquillian. The most unnecessarily difficult <laughs> bad guy man to say. But they had to say it a million times. Right? <laughs> yeah. And then you get the Doctor and Ian in kind of like an Indiana Jones-esque like cavern full of booby traps. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and the cool. monster is nice, apparently. And Barbara kills <laughs> her dog. <laughs> yeah. These these kids are quick to murder. <laughs> in, yeah. in, in... Get shift on. The first artist team. Uh, yeah, can you imagine in New Who if a companion just like killed a strange animal and then some kid was like, that was my pet. Yeah, people would lose their minds. But Vicky gets over it pretty fast. Yeah. Um, I should point out, Vicky's supposed to be about 14, I think. 14, 15. She's young. She's a teenager. Really? Yeah. Oh. Why was she on a spaceship? <laughs> were they? Oh, they were. And again, she was with her dad, though. Yeah, so her dad is one of the killed people. Yeah. I did not write down. I, I want to say it was something like her mom died and her dad just wanted like a fresh start. So they, he agreed to go on like this. Uh, I don't know if they're like settling somewhere. Okay. So so they were like a. Uh, uh, oh, shit. It's like a colony ship. Yeah, yeah. But it crashed. Lost in space. They're like lost in space. <laughs> right. <laughs> Except it's one weird murderous man and a little girl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that that gets kind of creepy. <laughs> well, yeah, and I don't know what his... I actually have a hard time remembering, like, what Bennett's reasoning is. He was a prisoner, right? And he was faking his way onto the ship. And, that like, that was the whole reason, like, when it crashed. He was kind of like a bad guy who became part of the crew through this calamity and then people were like figuring it out i do like at the beginning that they land somewhere it's completely unknown where they are and the doctor's like you guys have fun go explore (laughs) like that would yeah never happen but that's that's kind of like is he still sad like he just wants to be alone so we like shuffle him out no idea because they don't explore it it just cuts to him in the tardis playing with a rock yeah i do like that barbara falls off a cliff and we see the funniest way ever we see her later and she's like laying on a studio floor with like a little bit of sand around her and like the fakest tree branch ever just (laughs) laying on her stomach and (laughs) it's so good 
What did you think of the Coquillian costume? I thought it was cool, but after seeing the Didonians at the very end. Is that who they were? Yeah, because they weren't crew. Weren't they? Because were they? <laughs> Bennett sees them and goes, no, I killed you. Yeah, but he also killed the, the Didonians. Okay. <laughs> I thought they were Didonians. I watched this twice Yeah, and do not know what happened. I thought they were Didonians because the doctor said uh, you didn't get them all. But I guess he could have been talking about the crewmen, too. I just assumed he was talking about the race, like, so he didn't commit genocide, but... Oh, yeah. I don't know. In my notes, I wrote, the Didonians use the ghosts of Bennett's murders or murders to scare him into jumping to his death or something like that. I have no idea. Like, why do they look human? That's the thing. I was just going to say is like when the doctor said, did they have bug faces and little pincers? And if he just knew that that look was uh, ceremonial and they just normally look human, why wouldn't he say that? I, Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I do like at the end, though. Because we don't get this behavior from the first Doctor that often up to this point, where the Doctor is in that cavern, or that, like, a ceremonial chamber, Mm -hmm. and he knows what happened. And he, so, like, Bennett walks in, he's like, ah, Bennett, yes, welcome. And he's like, oh, you knew it was me all along. Oh, it takes it out, yeah. And that's, like, very kind of third Doctor. Hmm. And uh, especially, like, it was very Sylvester McCoy, too. And it's just not something you see a lot with the first Doctor. I just thought it was kind of cool. That was neat. The Doctor wasn't in this one a whole lot. Like, he just kind of shows up in pivotal moments and just knows everything. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a lot of Doctor Who stories. Especially the first Doctor. Like, in the later years when he starts getting sick and kind of takes a lot of episodes off. But anyway... What were your, since we're here to talk about her, what were your initial impressions of Vicky just from this story, if you can differentiate it? I thought she was good. She kind of fit into the, or she fit into the group very well, um, almost immediately, other than, you know, them killing her dog and her being mad. Yeah, I thought it was great. And then the doctor was kind of talking to her kind of how he would Susan already, so it was just kind of flowing pretty quick and i, I like her she's yeah. she's good on screen the easily fitting in wasn't just in the fiction it was in real life as well mm. apparently like william hartnell kind of took to her like right away nice and was very nice to her and she ended up kind of being the one who was used to like calm him down when he would get mad so like, oh, really? She says in the DVD, like, when William, or she calls him Bill. Uh, well, she calls William Russell Bill, too, so it gets confusing sometimes. <laughs> but uh, she's like, when Bill would, you know, blow a gasket, which would happen, like, three times a day, it became my job to go, like, laugh him up, is what she kept saying. Oh. Like, she would just go and make some goofs, cheer him up, yeah. get him to just chill out. And apparently he liked her enough that she could do that. So that's cool, because he was super bummed when Carol Ann Ford left. I have a few fun facts about the rescue. 
so in both of the making of documentaries for this and the Romans, um, Raymond Cusick was the production designer at the time. So like him and another guy would like take turns on stories, but these were done in one production block because it was together. Six episodes was kind of like a production block for them. Okay. And he's really good. I think the sets and the model work and everything for both of these stories is really good. And he reveals in the Romans making of that they got 450 pounds an episode for production design, which is not much. I was going to say the Romans looked good. Yeah, and we'll talk more more later about why that is. But I wanted to bring up Raymond Cusick because I meant to bring him up when we were doing our Daleks wrap-up podcast, and I didn't, and I feel bad about that because he has as much to do with the success of the Daleks as Terry Nation does Mm. because he designed them. Yeah, He created the Daleks in their physical appearance, which has gone mostly unchanged for yeah. almost 60 years. Did he get, is he getting like royalty credit for that? No. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. How can Terry nation get intellectual credit, but he can't get like image credit. Does that make sense? Yeah, but that's just not how it works. That's so weird. It's crazy. The rescue was the second two parter. The first one being Edge of Destruction, but is the last two-parter until the Peter Davison era, and then happens like all the time. (laughs) Because they, I think they do a couple like two-part 45-minute stories. I know they do at least one. And then there's some others. And the story takes place in the year 2493. That's where Vicky's from. Okay. So we have a future companion. Oh, I think my favorite line is the very beginning when Barbara and Ian have just woken up the doctor and they're trying to tell him, like, hey, we've landed. And Barbara goes, doctor, doctor, the trembling stopped. And he just goes, oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> and Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my dear, I'm so glad. And she's like, no. <laughs> like He's just like, oh, you're feeling better. That's nice. It's great. <laughs> All right, I think that's enough about the rescue. It's short. It's sweet. It uh, gives us our new companion. So The Rescue is also written by David Whitaker, the first script editor. And it was kind of became a tradition that the outgoing script editor would like have a script ready to go for the next one so that they had like one story ready for their like their first season or this is the middle of a season, but yeah. And then the next story is written by the brand new showrunner, Dennis Spooner, which is why it's so different than anything we've seen so far. It is The Romans, written by Dennis Spooner, directed by Christopher Berry, just like the last one, aired January 16th to February 6th, 1965, set in July 64 AD in the city of Rome. What do you think of this one, Alex? Now that you say like there was a reason it felt different, it makes sense, but I like it just it felt brighter. Like you know when um, Matt Smith became the Doctor and that first episode had like high def and the colors were just wild? Yeah. It felt like that. Like that feeling from like the from the rescue to <laughs> the Romans. Put your beard down. No. <laughs> it's rattling around making noise. But you know what I mean? Like from the rescue yeah. to the Romans, it just felt different. And 
I don't know if it's because they were like fully roamed out and just <laughs> looking off. Like the doctor's outfit was amazing. Oh, Harder looked awesome. He in looked story. so fucking cool. <laughs> well, it is maybe the only Doctor Who story that is of out and out comedy. Doctor was super jovial in this one, just being a goof the whole time. Well, not just that, but it's written as like a traditional Shakespearean comedy of errors. Like it has mm. mistaken identity, people just missing each other. It's uh, it's the only story that has no real, well, I say no real menace except for slavery and possible rape. Yeah, but there was some dark things. <laughs> but it's all the stuff... W- Aside from Ian and the Barbara stuff with Nero, you could kind of talk me out of that he was intending to rape her because he yeah. he never actually like touches her. Right. He's kind of just like expecting I'm the Caesar. You should you would want to have sex with me. Right. Which is also like a form of sexual abuse because of his power. But all that aside, <laughs> it is. But then you also have the intrigue and the like assassination yeah, yeah. type stuff. But like, also everyone in it is a fool and yeah. it's hilarious. It was really funny. So I, I went on Twitter and asked without mentioning that we had watched the Romans. I just asked, what is the funniest Doctor Who story? And uh, Matt Barber from the Strangers in Space podcast, my favorite Doctor Who podcast who is Matt Barber at Matt Barber UK said it's a competition between the Romans and city of death, which is a fourth doctor story, which is written by Douglas Adams. So of course it's going to be funny, but he, he then says it's probably the Romans because there's like city of death is really funny, but there's also like a plot that has danger in it, which this one doesn't really have. Right. And then likewise, John South on Twitter responded to Matt Barber saying, you know, what about the gunfighters? Another first doctor story, which has some comedy in its own right. But then Matt Barber replied, maybe, but only the doctor and his team are in a comedy in that one. Everyone else is taking it very seriously. Oh. which is different than the Romans where everyone except for Ian is in a comedy. Ian is in a completely different story. He's in a hellhole. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the Gallifrey's most wanted podcast. They also said the Romans and I actually listened to their latest episode today. They just released their episode on the Censorites. Uh So go check them out. We just watched the Censorites too. So I was super uh, jazzed for that one. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of the point I was trying to make is that the Romans is a comedy for the sake of being a comedy, whereas some of the other more funny stories are, you know, a traditional Doctor Who story that's just funnier than some of the other ones. So uh, that being said, let's get into it. You had texted me at some point that you love this episode. It was very fun. Like, I... I had started it, so we did our married cast, like recorded it uh, last night, and I had started this story before that and then finished it after that, so I was up till like one o'clock just watching Doctor Who, <laughs> and uh, it it was so good. It was just so much fun. 
Um, the doctor was jovial and just like, ho, ho, ho. Like, he did that a lot. A lot of that. <laughs> it was so fun. Uh, Vicky was great. Uh, Ian and Barbara, their story was super interesting. Like, I was very intrigued by, like, how they were handling their situations. Yeah. Um, I liked Nero. He was funny. It was just good. Uh, it is a great premise. I love the first episode. It's kind of becoming a theme. Like, I love the first episode of the Sensorites. Really love the first episode of this one. Uh, we saw at the end of the rescue that they landed somewhere where the TARDIS, like, fell off a cliff. Yep. And we see that that happened, but there's no consequences. And the doctor even says, yeah, the TARDIS can still take off. Yeah, that's fine. They just, like... <laughs> you know, come out and realize there's an abandoned house or like we're, I, we're sure we're made to think it's like this big estate, like this big villa thing. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And so they're like, fuck it. Let's, let's just get shit faced and sleep all day. Yeah. Let's squat <laughs> for a month. <laughs> they were there forever. And like, you know, the doctors or Vicky's obviously bored out of her mind. She's yep. a kid who's like, promised all of this adventure and the first thing they do is just go take a nap i don't know i think the first two weeks she probably was like holy shit we're in rome like the first three hours because <laughs> they're not even in rome they're, well, they're out, not even in rome they're outside of rome yeah but they were there for a month and they didn't go to rome once <laughs> apparently on. not come on <laughs> they're having too much fun watching ian and barbara pretend they weren't fucking all night long apparently yeah why do you think they're so tired <laughs> they they definitely fucked <laughs> But I've been listening to a podcast called Flight Through Entirety, and I listen to their, they do like classics, they do like three episodes at a time per podcast, so they spend about 20 minutes on a classic. Yeah. I just listened to their one on this, and they claim it's like kind of the beginning of a lot more hinting at Ian and Barbara being a thing, and they never come out and say it, but it is more just kind of understood. Hmm. Uh, so then the doctor's like, okay, you know what? I'm pretty bored too. Him and Vicky just go to Rome. And Ian and Barbara are like, finally, some alone time. <laughs> and just get housed yeah. <laughs> and make jokes about fridges. That, yeah. That scene was kind of funny. Like, especially with the, uh, um, when she like fixed his hair. And then he starts walking around like like the big Roman and just being a goofball yeah Ian's and great. <laughs> how did it take them a month to be like oh you should probably do your hair in a way that makes you look like you're from here yeah and he's so against it yeah it's like oh <laughs> i should comb in my hair <laughs> sucks <laughs> what and then uh the doctor gets mistaken for a murdered man is just totally cool with it yeah puts vicky in an unnecessary amount of danger <laughs> yep. even though she is never once in any danger at all in this story Everyone, like, she just moves into the palace, and everyone's like, oh, cool, this, this yep. is Vicky, everyone. Yep, welcome, Vicky. She walks into the poisoner lady's lab, and she's like, oh, hey, come check out this poison I'm making. And <laughs> yeah. then, like, hides her when the... Uh, Queen is there? Or the is, Empress? Is it Empress? I wrote down Empress. Yeah, it wasn't the Queen of Rome. So No. Yeah. Hides her when the Empress shows up. Uh, yeah, Vicky's just fine. The whole time. I love when uh, all the guards are surrounding... When all the guards are surrounding the place because they know Ian's coming to bust out Barbara. Yeah. And 
the doctor and Vicky are like, oh, they're going to kill the doctor tonight. We should leave. And they're like creeping behind a bush and some soldier like (laughs) goes and looks and he's like, don't worry, it's just us. It's just us. It just keeps going. Yeah, yeah. And the guard goes, so like everybody knows them. Oh, for (laughs) sure. Like just some random guard is like, oh, it's Vicky and Lucia, whatever that fucker's name is. Yeah, I don't, because the the doctor and Vicky- the doctor and Vicky were, uh, like, they were at that banquet. Like, the banquet was for them. <laughs> that soldier wasn't at that banquet. Well, but that's what I'm wondering is is maybe maybe all the soldiers know about VIPs that are in the palace? I don't know. <laughs> maybe. But, like, do they hand out a picture? <laughs> I, I have no idea. The doctor so was running around They didn't a lot. have pictures back then. <laughs> yeah, the doctor was running around a lot, so maybe they just saw him. It's like the first thing you do when you enter the castle is... You have to sit for a portrait for like four hours. Someone someone draws you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Go hand this out to all the guards. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of the banquet, the doctor's clever plan of only the most sophisticated ear will be able to hear these notes at all. And everyone's like, oh, it's so good. Yeah. Yep. I even wrote down while I was watching it, I was like, oh, he's doing an emperor's new clothes. And then he just comes out and says, I did an emperor's new clothes on them. (laughs) The doctor gets a John Pertwee moment where like this dude comes up behind him with a sword and he just goes, oh, you want to fight? And just immediately starts fighting. Yeah. He doesn't try talking himself out of it or escape. He's just like, ah, fighting. I wrote down doctor is champion of combat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then Vicky is even like, oh, I didn't know you could fight. And he's like, oh, I'm one of the best. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so during this, so the rest of the Doctor and Vicky's plot is, you know, Nero wants to kill the Doctor because he thinks he's like the best liar player in the world. And he doesn't want anyone to be better than him. So he's going to kill this musician. But the Doctor keeps like talking himself out, talking him out of it. The scene in the spa is really cool. But then he's also plotting... Or he he doesn't know it, but um, that one dude who's a Christian is like yeah, I don't know why that all, like all of a sudden was well, a thing because it's uh, seventy four A D or sixty four A D. It's a big deal if someone in Caesar's court is a Christian. Oh, because Jesus Christ had died like twenty five years ago. It's still pretty new. Well, yeah, but they didn't mention it until the very last shot of that character. But it gives him motive for, like, why he's... Why he was being altruistic and all that? Right. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, in the doctor's attempt to spare his own life, he accidentally sets a map of Rome on fire, giving Nero the idea to light Rome on fire. Yeah. Which is referenced in Fires of Pompeii, where David Tennant says... They, you know, when they first land, they think they're in Rome, but they missed. Oh, yeah. And so Tenant makes some reference to the burning of Rome. And he's like, I, now, no matter what they say, I didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> and then he's like, but don't worry, that's not for years. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, but during that whole, you know, fun, funny adventure, Ian is sold as a slave has to row like a ship in a galley for like three days at least yeah 
Yeah. The ship crashes. In a big storm, yeah. He <laughs> walks to Rome to try to find Barbara, is immediately captured again. Yep. <laughs> and then is sent to the fighting pits to fight in the Colosseum. Fight his new friend. To fight his friend who is really the hero of this story. That guy had no reason to be there, but he's just like, no, I like you, man. Even when the boat crashes, he's like, come with me and we'll go to my family. I'll sort you out. And he's like, no, no, I have to go to Rome to save my friend. And he's like, all right, let's go to Rome. <laughs> Whatever you that say, That guy's buddy. so cool. And then, like, Ian has no chance in the fighting pit. This dude's going to fuck him up. But instead, he's like, I can't, I can't kill my boy Ian. Yeah. Just starts killing guards left and right. Yeah, went after Nero. <laughs> yeah. Like bossing it up and manages to escape put that guy in the tardis team <laughs> i want him <laughs> so that dude is amazing that actor because he's primarily a stuntman oh, who okay. they gave him the role and he's really cool he he's peter diamond uh the character is Delo, delos or delos um he's been in he was in all three of the original star wars movies like, when you see Luke swinging across the thing with Leia, that's him. Oh, like okay. he, Yeah, he's like a legit stuntman. He was in a ton of 60s and 70s Doctor Who. Um, he has 244 credits as a stuntman. And he's in From Russia with Love, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, all the Star Wars, Superman 2, Superman 4, Highlander, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Wow. He's in a billion TV shows. So he's just cool. And then the guy that attacks the doctor, I think he was hired because he like worked with him. He because he's also a stuntman. Oh, the the simple man? Well, he's mute. Oh, mute. Right, because he had his tongue cut out or something. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't write his name down. Oh well. But also like that guy choreographed that fight between him and Ian. And it was like really good. Yeah, I thought the fighting scene in, in that scene was great. Well, then William Russell, who's on the DVD, who didn't even mention, today is his 96th birthday. Wow. And he's still kicking it. Happy birthday. But he says on the DVD that, like, they had no time to rehearse that. They didn't even have it choreographed. The dude just, like, showed up, saw the space, saw where the cameras were, saw what swords they had to work with. And he's like, okay, so do this, 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 and then we'll go over here and we'll do this, this, this. And just, like, immediately had it, and they shot it, and it was great. I thought, like, before that scene, it was a while before we saw Ian on screen. And so I was thinking, like, oh, this part's a little Ian light. I wonder what he's up to. And then they had this big fight, and I was like, oh, he's probably training to learn how to do all of that, because that was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that dude's just dope. Nero was really cool. He was very funny. Yeah. I didn't write down his name because he hasn't been in any other Doctor Who stuff. Yeah, a little, a little too rapey, but <laughs> yeah. he was he was funny. Like when he get when he was chasing her around like the bedroom, and then uh, the Empress walks in, and then he's just like, "Oh, I didn't see you were there." And then he like leans <laughs> over, but he's like waving her to like leave. <laughs> get out of here! Get out of here! <laughs> yeah, the comedic timing along with the camera work. I mean, uh, Christopher Berry's one of the go-to Doctor Who directors during this period, and he's fantastic. Mm. Uh, And he was still with us, too, or at least was when the DVD was made. Uh, So he's all over him. Nice. 
Oh, so I brought up the uh, set designer, Raymond Cusick. He, because you, you had mentioned that this episode, the set design is particularly good. And I particularly remember like the, the poisoner woman's shop or lab, like was awesome. Just all the stuff that was on her tables and all yeah. over, it was like very intricately designed. And then, like, the big feast, um, actually, Christopher Berry said, because they, during this time, they didn't feast, they didn't eat at tables. So, they had, How'd like, they eat? like laying down. They would, all, they, like, lounge on sofas. Like pillows and stuff? and Or, like, chaise lounges. Oh. And they would just, like, be laying on their stomach and just, like, feed this. It was all about decadence and, you know nothing like no propriety or anything huh and then uh christopher berry on the dvd says we would have loved to do that but there just wasn't any room like we couldn't get all those actors laying down they had to sit at tables it was the only way we could block the scene out Hmm. but then cusick said that because it was roman and bbc that the bbc had a ton of that stuff laying around Oh, yeah. So they were able to save a lot of money by just using things that the BBC already had, which is cool. Because, again, 450 pounds per episode for it looked the production good. budget. It looked really good. Production design budget, I should say. Yeah. Get a shift on. Weirdly enough, watching that story made me want to rewatch Spartacus. <laughs> the like, show? Yeah. It it just made me want to watch Roman shit again because they <laughs> they were talking about Capula and obviously Rome and all that stuff is cool. It made me want to watch the seventies miniseries I Claudius because they talk about it a lot on the DVD. Okay, so now let's chat a bit about Vicky. Who you know the Romans wasn't like the <laughs> yeah she was barely in the she Romans. doesn't she doesn't do a lot yeah. So this is all Odali's fault for being the only one who voted and voting for the Romans. How <laughs> dare you? Uh, but he did save us from the Space Museum, which is probably more Vicky, but it's a worse story. So, Alex, let's yeah. talk specifically about Vicky. What are your impressions? I like her. She, like I said, she fits right in. Um, like the doctor and her... It feels like she's almost like a one-to-one replacement for Susan because the doctor's already saying, like, my dear, like, trying to teach her things. I don't know. It, it felt felt good. Yeah, it's going to be hard to talk about Vicky without comparing her to Susan because she is literally the replacement of, for Susan. I think you see right away she... Like, I think as a construct, she's very much written like Susan would have been in these two stories, but she's playing it quite differently than Susan. Yeah. When Caroline Ford came on, she was the unearthly child. She was supposed to be mysterious and weird. And then after that first episode, they stopped writing her that way and she was just screaming. Right. And so when she did get to actually do anything, she continued to play that character, even though it, didn't always make sense for the story because that's the character she signed on to play. Right. And like, she was trying to will it into existence. 
Whereas immediately when we see Vicky, she's kind of much more chipper and brighter. And maybe that maybe it's literally because she has yellow hair. I don't know. <laughs> but she just does kind of seem like more clear eyed and just like not. Maybe it's because Caroline Ford was literally miserable. <laughs> in, Could be. In the acting she had to do. Not I think she had a good time with the people she was with. But yeah, I think it's obvious like right away. That Vicky is different from Susan in all positive ways. Like, I can't think of a comparison between the two that goes positively towards Susan. Hmm. Yeah. It just felt fresh. Yes. Yeah. And like you said, maybe it was just the energy she was coming out with. Yeah, it just felt fresh. Well, I mean, we watched The Chase uh, with Vicky in it, and she seems very much like this. I mean, she's with Ian the whole time in that one. Not the whole time, but for an episode in which they all pair off. And you haven't seen Planet of Giants, but there's in that one, Susan and Ian pair off. And even their relationship seems like more more developed like more personal like more like uncle niece or your your close family members that, but not father daughter in fact okay. in the chase it kind of seems like they're going to make out at one point <laughs> <laughs> Ian's a fucking creep <laughs> Ian is a fucking creep uh, a little about Vicky her name's Vicky Pallister her surname is never mentioned on the show it's, I think it's created in a book. Oh. She's not the only companion that that's true for. She's a human. She's from the 25th century. So immediately in her relationship with the other actors, especially the doctor, she's not related to the doctor. So the doctor doesn't have to do like what he did in the Sensorites, where he has to like come down hard on her because he's scared for her. Because it's literally his granddaughter. Yeah. In a relationship that isn't familial, uh, he can, like, in the Romans, he's put her in, like, the craziest kind of danger. He's like, oh, this is one of the craziest Caesars that ever lived, and he wants to kill me, and we know that we should stay here. Yeah. And and he just pieces out. Like, he's just off by himself. She's off by herself. There's There's not, like, a stay with me, I'm going to protect you thing, like you were saying. Right. Yeah. Well, and in both of these stories, she doesn't need saving. Right. Which isn't to say that'll never be. But well, I guess the doctor did have to save Nero because she was going to kill him. <laughs> yeah, she, even <laughs> if she had her way, would have murdered Nero. Yeah. <laughs> to save an unknown slave who turned out to be Barbara. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so good. All the like almost meeting Barbara. Yeah. Like walking away just as she's shuffled out for the slave auction. Yep. Vicky, by the age of 10, had obtained certificates in medicine, physics, computers, chemistry, and others. Wow. So like, whatever she needs to know for some exposition in like a book or an audio or even on the show, 
She'll just be like, oh, yeah, I got a certificate in that when I was 10. Fucking nerd. <laughs> what a nerd. And then uh, she also studied, very, which really helps out when you're making a TV show made in 1963, 20th century history. hey <laughs> Astronomy and temporal paradoxes. Which, it's like, I want to know what story they say that in, because it's like, oh, we're at a time travel show. Oh, we'll just make the girl have studied temporal paradoxes. In The Myth Makers, her last story, the TARDIS team travels to 1200 BC Troy, where, you're not going to believe it, she falls in love with the dude and gets left behind. Aww. She chooses to remain behind. She doesn't get left like Susan did. Okay, okay. But then there's a lot of, like, stories and comics and stuff about her after she's decided to stay in uh, Greece. Is that where Troy is? Yeah. And it's a it, it doesn't go great. She doesn't like it there? I think they end up in Britain, Britannia, or whatever. Britannia. In the original script, her name was Tani, T-A-N-N-I. I don't like that. She had a she had some other names at different points. Like they wanted to give her like a future name. Like they wanted to be weird. Nah, Vicky's so good. <laughs> and uh, like at one point, I think it was Lucky, like L L U K K I or something like that. No. Boo. <laughs> Boo. So, new girl from the twenty fifth century dresses like she's a teenager in nineteen sixty three or four. And I think an upgrade from Susan. Yeah. Not not much else to say about her. Um, again, we're missing a third of her stories. We will see more of her later when we do our Stephen episode. Uh, so maybe opinions will change. But for this, we only watched her first two stories. And we've seen the chase. I like her. She's cool. Yeah. Thus concludes our Vicky episode. For next time, we're going back to season one. Way back. Because it is now, or will be then, time to talk about Doctor Who's first action man, Ian Chesterton, played by William Russell. Mm. We've already seen his first and last stories, so... We're just going to pick some awesome ones? (laughs) Yeah. Well, Twitter has decided. Oh, already? Oh, wow. You're, you're ahead of I've it. I've been doing this for months. <laughs> okay. All right. So it, it, it's really like I'm constantly like, oh, I can't wait till we get to Leela. Or I can't wait until we get to blah, blah, blah. Like Romano 1. And it's like, oh, that's going to be in a year and a half. But I'm already like writing. <laughs> and <laughs> that's why I want to do these like more often. Not because I want to put them out. I just want to get to them. Get to Yeah. Uh, so we've already seen a couple other ones with Ian. We saw his two Dalek stories when we did all of our Dalek stories. We saw these two stories for Vicky. So out of his remaining stories, the Keys of Marinus, Planet of Giants, the Web Planet, and the Space Museum, I there's one other one, the Aztecs, that I didn't put up for vote because we're going to do that one for Barbara. That one I decided. I didn't even let Twitter vote. Uh, so this one was, so I put this on Twitter, those four stories again, keys of Marinus, planet of giants, the web planet and the space museum. 
it was not unanimous. Ooh. In fact, getting just over 50% of the vote was the Keys of Marinus, which is what we're going to be watching. Discontent. It's six episodes. It's back in season one. OG TARDIS team. One of very few, I think only two, non-Dalek scripts written by Terry Nation. Oh, wow. So we're going back to Uncle Terry. No, nope, oh. Taryn Sticks is Uncle Terry. We're going back to Terry Nation. <laughs> so if you really want to get a whole feel, go watch the other ones that we're not going to watch. Planet of Giants, Web Planet, and Space Museum. <laughs> I already watched Planet of Giants. It's fucking great. All right. So, Alex. Yo. If you will, please. Mm-hmm. Sing the song that makes us leave. Uh, this has been Brothers and Who, our episode on Vicky. Uh, please go listen to Married to Who, our regular show, where we are about to hit the halfway point in Series 10. Plowing through Bill's season, Moffat's final season. On behalf of myself, Jake, my brother Alex, thank you so much for listening. Please join us next time as we talk about Ian Chesterton.